And welcome back to another installment of The Conspiracy Skeptic. I'm your Conspiracy Skeptic, Carl Mamer. And with me today is uh, my guest, uh, Stafford, Stafford Lumsden. Hello. Hi, Stafford. And uh, Stafford, uh, as I think I said that to my, my other guest with an accent, Haley, you're not, you're not around from here, are you? <laughs> uh, no, I uh, am a New Zealander. Oh, yeah. Um, is it okay to so, call? Is it okay to call you people Kiwis? Is that an insult or is that? No, it's much easier to say than New Zealander, isn't it? Oh, so, okay. No, All no, right. we're proud of our, our Kiwiness. Okay, because you can call Canadians Canucks, and it's it's. I'm never sure. Is that like an insult or not an insult or something like that? Calling us Canucks because we call ourselves Canucks, but then it's almost like you know, because the poor Americans they don't really know they don't really know how to insult. A lot of you know people who are not Americans. So you, sometimes you ha- you have to sort of feed them the insult. So it's like you can you can call us Canucks, you can call us you know Snowbacks, you know you can you know these are some things you can call us. Oh okay, all right, thank Perhaps you. Perhaps at one stage you you reclaimed the word Canuck. You know it's it's, yeah, it's all right to use now. That's possible, yeah. But you're uh yeah, so you're a New Zealander, a Kiwi, and uh, what, what what city in New Zealand? I come from Auckland, New Zealand's largest city. All right. And you've heard all the Lord of the Rings jokes, of course. Yes, and the sheep jokes. Oh, yes, I forgot about those. Yeah. Well, I guess that's actually kind of lucky because, you know, the, um, you know, it was just the sheep jokes before. So now it's like, you know, the Hobbit jokes and people have completely forgotten about the sheep jokes, I think. Yeah, well, the, the actual number of sheep in New Zealand has declined significantly since you know, the heyday of the you know the seventies and eighties. Um, at one stage, I think it was sort of something like fifteen or twenty sheep per person. Now it's down to ten. Well, that's not too bad. So your war on sheep has been a big. <laughs> Indeed, we have the menace under control. <laughs> taking you taking you a few decades to thin that herd because they're 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 wily bastards. Those sheep. There's a fantastic New Zealand-made film uh, called Black Sheep about zombie sheep that um, take over this town in you know, sort of the middle of nowhere. Um, recommend it. It's on Netflix, so I'll right. find that out. Cool. <laughs> well, you don't, you don't, right, currently, you're actually not living in, uh, in New Zealand, right? No. Uh, I have lived... Ooh, tomorrow, it'll be six years, uh, I've lived in Korea, or South Korea, to be exact. Get the F out, really? Yeah, my Koreaversary is tomorrow. All right, yeah. So you're not you're not you're not a fo- former co-host of my former podcast, Soul. What did I call it? Soul Survivors, right? You are a you're a co-host of the the uh, the successor to Soul Survivors, Soul, Soul Podcast, right? That's right. I'm I'm probably the 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 newest addition to the Soul Podcasting family, if you will. Right. Yes. yes. Hosted by uh, uh, Joe Joe McPherson and Jennifer. What's her last name again? Uh, young. Yes, I of think course. she's still going by Young. <laughs> oh yes, she changes that name from time to time. But yeah, Jennifer Young, and uh, and you're right. You're the, the the latest co-host, uh, Stafford. And uh, yeah, so um, not not technically a, a skeptical podcast, but you know, when you're living in Korea, you become skeptical of everything. I think. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things that's uh, a par for the course, really. Yeah. And, 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 and I'm not picking on Korea. You actually, one of the interesting things about living abroad is, you know, you, you kind of see the Korean 
propaganda that sort of Koreans tell themselves. You know, we're good people, we're great people. And you you begin to quickly recognize, oh, these are the exact same things, you know, Canadians or New Zealanders tell themselves, you know. That's right. Yeah, and then you quickly then kind of go, ah, okay, right, yeah. No one really cares about Canadians, you know, like, you know, Americans are not all going, what are the Canadians? What would Canada do? What would New Zealand do in this situation? They're not really doing that, are they? Yeah, you know, you, you become very almost hyper aware of your own sort of uh, approach and, you know, what happens in your own country vis-a-vis what's happening in this weird and wonderful new place that you find yourself, you know, exactly. um, you get a very stark contrast all of a sudden. Exactly, and and so uh, I, I'm I'm just not having you on because you're a sort of pretty voice. Uh, what, what's uh, what's your what's your favorite conspiracy? Well, I, I was thinking of this, and, and we're, we're going to talk about North Korea, and, and I thought pretty much everything to do with that country is a conspiracy, one way or another. Yes. Um, simply because we don't know that much of of the truth about what's happening in North Korea. That's true. It's a very, I mean, it's a very closed-off country. As a, uh, I mean, as a, a Kiwi lander, you're, you're 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 kind of allowed to go to North Korea for brief periods of time, aren't you? Um, well, actually, um, New Zealand has had a, a longish um, relationship with, with North Korea. Um, the North Korea New Zealand Society was set up in the 1970s. Um, by what was then, you know, what we would call a bunch of communists then. Um, and um, there, there's actually a, a New Zealand friendship school uh, in Pyongyang and a, a New Zealand friendship farm just outside of Pyongyang where um, New Zealanders have sort of been doing three to six months sort of sojourns for oh, at least the last 15 years. Okay. Um, but yeah, as, as a New Zealander, we're sort of on, on the, on the favoured list and are allowed to enter North Korea... Um, certainly easier than than our North American friends. <laughs> and, and rumor sort of has it you might uh, you, you might be going there. Uh... Possibly. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. Again, with the New Zealand um, North Korea Friendship Society uh, are looking for a teacher uh, for the the autumn or what you people would call the fall. Um, and uh, I've I put my hand up and said, you know, if if it's uh, if it's possible, I would love to go. Wow. And so, how, how long of a stint would would that be? Uh, three months. Three months. Oh, that's so not I'll, bad. I, I thought it'd, do, it'd be quite good. I'll be going on the Juche diet and um, <laughs> might, might 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 lose a bit of weight while I'm up there. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, I mean, you you lose a bit of weight just being in South Korea, and uh, yeah, so I could have. Oh, do you? I don't think. So. <laughs> Well, unfortunately, I'm living proof that that is not the case. Well, you know, you've been right. You've been there six years. You, you kind of you lose a lot of weight, like about your first year, and then and then once you kind of get accustomed to you know the food and and the you know how much movement you have to do, you 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 start to kind of gain it back. That's what I that's what I found at least. I, I lost a lot of weight my first first year, and then I sort of. You know, I'm like, wow, I've lost a lot of weight. I better start eating lots of choco pies. And then it's hard you to discover t- the the cornucopia that is, is Korean food. Yeah. Uh, then it's hard to turn that off. You know what? <laughs> All right. So North, North Korea. So what's the uh, what's sort of the uh, well, I mean, the, the the one kind of conspiracy, it's sort of a, a little one where it's, uh, you know, who, who's the leader in North Korea? 
Uh, currently, it's the dear leader, Comrade General Kim Jong-il. Right, so Kim Jong-il. So we, we always hear that apparently Kim Jong-il, he has, uh, he has many lookalikes that he sort of sends hither and thither. And that, that he, might, he might even be dead. Isn't that sort of the, uh, the, the conspiracy? Yeah, well, last year, um, he apparently became very ill uh, and wasn't seen in public uh, for quite a long time, and you know, with, with all these di- dictatorial type chaps, you know, um, people who are watching, uh, you know, really base a lot of the analysis on when and where these people are seen in public. Uh, and the big thing was in, in August last year was I, I think the sixtieth anniversary of, of um, the, the founding of the state of, of North Korea, um, and he wasn't at the celebrations. And and this caused all manner of rumor and innuendo to be thrown about that he was either really, really sick or had, in fact, died. Um, and then, sort of, to combat this, the, the North Korean Central News Agency, or the KC, uh, North Korea, in, I always forget the acronym, KCNA, Korea Central News Organization, Association, um, put out a series of, <laughs> what some would say, uh, a very poorly photoshopped photos <laughs> of... Um, of of Kim Jong Il in various poses in various places to try and combat this this rumor that he was dead and of course because of the quality of the Photoshop you know the the um the rumors just increased and grew um and people were saying yeah no he he's a goner okay. um, but, uh, the, the the one they had of him with the uh, the Jedi kid uh, that was like, <laughs> like yeah that was definitely a fake one yeah, come on. <laughs> Right. No, there, there was there was one particular one, though that that sort of confirmed it in that he was standing um, in a group of of three people, uh, and three people's shadows were going one way, uh, and his shadow was going another way. Um, and, and, I remember there, there wasn't there was another one where it was like like the the season was off. You know, I think it was held in spring, but it was clearly like the leaves were turning for fall or something something like that. Yeah, or maybe it was around the other way. It should have been okay. fall, and, and, and yet he was surrounded by all this luscious green okay. foliage. But, of course, I mean, when he was born, um, all, the, all the trees blossomed in the middle of winter, and, and um, geese flew in formations that spout out his name in the sky. So it's quite possible. <laughs> that, um... Yeah, I mean, even his own birth, right? His own birth is kind of uh, not, not quite a conspiracy, but it, it's – you know the the official details of his birth are sort of uh, you know manufactured to sort of parallel a certain Korean legend or something. That's right. Yeah, um, very fanciful uh, in in the way that they're told. Right. Sort of was like the first kind of the, the the legendary founder of the Korean people. He was born on a certain mountain, and and so Kim. Kim Jong Il is that his name? Kim Jong Il. That's the one. Yep. Yeah, Kim Jong Il. He 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 was you know. Oh, he was born on that mountain too, you know. That's right. The cabin is there, and um, if you ever take a tour of North Korea, uh, quite often part of the tour involves going and visiting said cabin in the wilderness, yeah. the birthplace of the dear leader, Comrade General Kim Jong Il. Now, his 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 father, like his father, uh, his, his fa- he he sort of in- inherited the throne uh, from from his dad. Yeah, uh, North Korea is the only communist state uh, with a, uh, a hereditary leadership. Right. Yeah. Now, is, is, now, his dad didn't his dad kind of get his? He was sort of a he fought the Japanese, like when the Japanese were sort of 
Well, you know, again, um, this is all sort of wrapped up in, in propaganda and, and fanciful portrayals of, of the great leader. Um, you know, it, he was definitely uh, a, a resistance fighter of the Japanese, but whether his exploits in, in Manchuria and the north of North Korea uh, did actually happen are, are at question, you know. Okay. All right. And, uh, all right, so that's sort of the... One conspiracy is that he, you know, he he died. Uh, he is sort of famous for uh, he, he doesn't he never travels by plane, right? Yeah, he 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 has a, a very um, palatial palatial <laughs> state train uh, in which he travels um, up and down his country, and um, in, indeed through to China. He's supposed to go to China uh, sometime in the coming year, and uh, he will take that journey by train. Um. Giving giving North Korea's uh, uh, history on uh, train safety, however, you'd have to question whether it's a good idea or not. I don't know whether you're caught. There was a, a fairly large explosion um, of a train carrying fertilizer um, in North Korea right. two years ago. Um, and, of course, that was all covered up as well. Um, we, we still don't know what really happened there. There were some, uh, I think, some Red Cross... Uh, volunteers in the area at the time, and they were quickly bundled up and taken off somewhere else um, so as not to sort of disclose what actually happened. But apparently the, it, almost an entire village was wiped out because of this explosion. There, there, was, uh, some, there was some question of that. That was like – people were thinking maybe that was like a sort of an attempt on his life because either his train passed by there earlier or was about – was going to pass through there or something like that. So, oh, yeah, indeed. That, that, that is part of the, the conspiracy for that one as well, yeah, whether it was a, you know, someone screwed up a hit on him or we, we just don't know, again, because of the, the closed-off nature of the whole place. What do you think – I mean um... – yeah, you know, like Ceausescu in uh, was it R- Romania? You know, I mean, his people were starving and similarly sort of deprived, and had you know worked very closed off. And eventually, some of his generals just sort of got real tired of him and just threw him, him and his wife against the wall and sort of shot him, right? And uh, you, you know, why? Why do you think uh, Kim? You know, Kim Jong Il? How come his generals have never sort of just threw him against the wall and shot him? Because those. What? North Koreans yeah. are not they're they're not they're not doing well, right? No. Well I mean if you if you think back to the case of Romania, I mean there was a lot of change going on in Europe at the time. Okay. Um and you know, Romania wasn't closed off almost half the extent that North Korea is. I mean it was surrounded by other countries, you know, it only had to so you know you only had to get a, a pair of binoculars to see what was happening next door. Um North Korea, on the other hand, is, is they've got it down to a fine art into locking themselves away from everyone else. And also, Kim pays off his generals. You know, the, the higher echelons, the ones who would be able to take action, are paid off with Western goods and good housing and more food than they can eat. And um, you know, um, one of the one of the big sanctions that the UN. Uh, put upon North Korea in the last couple of years was to stop the import of things like cognac and iPods and you know things that Kim the the, the Kim regime uses to to pay off you know all those people that could possibly take action against the regime. Right. Yes. Because I uh, there's a blog I read about um, uh, guys. So he I think is Western professor down in Busan, and he writes a lot about North and. South Korea, and I think he sort of 
commented that, um, you know, all these generals kind of basically know that they would, uh, they would be, you know, on trial if, uh, you know, if the regime fell and, you know, South Korea sort of moved in that, that yeah. it's, yeah, sort of, the, it's that, in their own interests to keep it going. Yeah. There's not, a, you know, they're, they're, they have real no choice. It's either keep being supplied with cognac, cigars, and women, or face a trial in South Korea. Well, yeah, no, it reminds me of that, that Eddie Izzard sketch where he's talking about um, the, the, the Church of England. You know, it's cake or death. Those are your two choices. Yeah. <laughs> this, this, what, this blogger, too, he, he sort of has the idea, too, that uh, like the, South Korea has the death penalty on the books, and, and they can... They, condemn a fair number of you know murderers to death but they haven't actually executed anyone since like the 80s everyone just sort of sits on death row and and uh they, they don't really sort of apply the death penalty well oh, interesting interesting you should bring that up actually the the south korean supreme court on friday came out and said you know the death penalty is a valid sort of punishment we're keeping it on the books right yeah this it, was only this week yeah. yeah and well this professor his whole hypothesis was it's kind of they're kind of keeping it on the books, just because you know, as almost a bit of like a leverage against against the North. You know, uh, you know, they, there are some people that might actually in the North be deserving of the death penalty, and they kind of, you know, they would like to. Just waiting for that day, just yeah. to hand it down. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, but uh, all right. So, so Kim, uh, Kim, Kim, Kim Jong Il. He's. Uh, um, he, do you think he's he's still alive? Well, yeah, no, since um, last year there have been some real photos released by um, the, the North, and um, what they show actually is a very frail old man in, in comparison to sort of two, two and a half years ago. Um, you know, uh, quite a few American uh, commentators, I, th- I think of Stephen Colbert as a commentator, sorry, um, ha- have taken the piss out of Kim Jong-il for some time, you know, with his very bouffant-like uh, hairdo and his chubby cheeks. You know, here's a man in a country of 12 million starving people, and, um, you know, he's about my height and about my size. Um, but in contrast, these photos show him, you know, he's lost a lot of weight and is looking pretty pale and pretty ill, you know. But, yeah. Speaking of height, that's one of the sort of interesting things when they compare the north and the south. Like, I mean, in in the west, if you've never been to Asia, in the west, we always think like, oh, Asians are really tiny people. But I mean, that hasn't been true of you know, Japan and Korea for, uh, you know, probably a good decade. That you know, that Korean males are actually they're quite tall. People these yes, days. I, I, I teach uh, middle school, and uh, some of the third graders <laughs> tower yeah. over me. <laughs> yeah, so they're very tall people, and, and but the, when they look at average heights in North Korea, it's it, I mean it's just it's shocking the disparity in height. Like no, North Koreans are like, I mean half a foot, half a foot shorter than 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 South Koreans. Mm. Yeah, there there are some very telling photos uh, from the demilitarized zone. Um, here in, in Korea, um, they they send the South Korean soldiers who are the biggest, stockiest gentlemen you'll ever see. You know, they tell you know six foot tall, just as wide, full of muscle. You know, these are the guys who are, you know on the front line, as it were, going to protect the border first. Um, and on the opposite side are these little fellas. <laughs> The best they can muster, right? The best they can muster, you know, and they're um, you know a good half a foot shorter than their south- southern counterparts, you know. And yeah. you think who would win in a fight there? Well, you know. Now wasn't wasn't there a rumor that there was like a North Korean 
cheerleader squad or something that was sort of sent to South Korea. This is this is going back a few years, and um, and they were like a huge hit in South Korea, like, and uh, and then they went back to North Korea, and a lot of them ended up. The, I mean, the rumor was that a lot of them ended up in a sort of a gulag in North Korea because they 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 talked too much about what they saw down south. Did, did you did you ever hear about that? Yeah, um, I think it was maybe for uh, the Asian Games. Someone, right. right? Yes. So yeah, North Korea was was competing, and um, you know, as a gesture of of goodwill at the time that was sort of going on between the two Koreas, they sent a cheerleading squad, and. Um, yeah, as you, as as what often happens in South Korea, you know, the media here will latch on to some sort of cutesy thing, and um, in this case was was the North Korean cheerleaders. Um, they subsequently went back to North Korea and uh, were quite liberal in telling everyone about, you know, the fact that everyone had a mobile phone and there was food on the table, and they had fifty cents inch screen, you know, flat screen televisions and all this sort of thing. Um, and yeah, as a measure to clamp down and not let the populace know about what's going on outside North Korea. These people were sort of hushed up, and um, the rumor is that, yeah, they were assigned duty at, at work camps out in the country uh, so that they couldn't tell people about how thing, you know, how liberal things are in South Korea. You know, North Korea p- paints a picture to its populace that everywhere outside of Korea is horrible. You know, it, it, it's a, a disgusting, imperialist, um, you know, hellhole where the workers are... Um, you know, exploited and, and a work to death, right? Um, which is quite ironic considering the situation in North Korea, right? Yeah, or it, it's like it's like uh, everyone's on drugs. There's crime problems. Everybody is basically sort of a slave to America and Japan and and, and stuff like that. Mm. I think there was once there was like a sort of a meeting, very high level meeting between North Korean generals and South Korean generals, and and. And I guess the North Korean generals really got the South Korean generals really riled up. You know, getting Koreans riled up—that's not a—that's not an easy thing. You know? <laughs> and uh, just you know, just to squalify their short track <laughs> teams. You know, yeah, they handled that well. And uh, so, anyway, so I guess like the North Koreans were just just sort of picking on the South Korean generals, sort of you know. Your women dye their hair. <laughs> like they're not their blood's not pure anymore and I guess it didn't really end well. Yeah, well no, I mean the, these these meetings take place I think once a week on the DMZ, um, as part of the the armistice. Of course the two countries are still technically at war. Um and every now and again, yeah, there are reports of sort of shouting matches breaking out. <laughs> And the United States generals having to sort of pull people apart and just say, you know, sit down, Jesus Christ, we're still at war, you know. Um, it sort of brings brings to the front the fact that, yeah, you know, these two countries could at any minute start shooting at each other again just because, you know, their their sort of dignity has been impugned by the other side. Yeah. And if you've ever seen sort of two two middle-aged to older Korean gentlemen go at it, you know, you can only – you can just picture – you know these these little short North Korean dudes with all their medals over their chests, sort of puffing themselves up to as big as they can possibly be, and sort of pointing and shouting. <laughs> I guess the, the really the the big one big conspiracy I think we hear about in North America the most. It's called the uh, they call it the the soup the super bill that yeah that the conspiracy goes that the, the North Koreans are cranking out uh, perfect nearly perfect. Hundred dollar U.S. bills. Mm-hmm. What's 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 so what sort of 
the, the official story, the conspiracy, and then what's your what's your take on it? Well, yeah, the official story is just that, is that there are these um, these almost perfect $100 bills um, circulating around the world that um, will quite easily pass an electronic sort of test. You know, you put you at, in Vegas, for instance, you know, they put all the, the bills through a county machine and it's able to pick out the fake ones. Um, right. These bills, or even even the slot machines themselves, I think. Indeed, like, yeah. Except, yeah. But yes, right. Th- these bills are so good that um, the North, well, supposedly the North Koreans who are manufacturing them, put in flaws so that they can distinguish the notes when people are buying the fake notes off them. You know, so that they're not being ripped off themselves. Um, they've somehow managed to get hold of uh, the same paper that the U.S. makes the money out of, the same um, ink. Uh, the same, the same printing presses, the same plates used to print these bills, um, and they are you know virtually undetectable. Um, the, the the problem with that being is that I think under you know United States law, um, to pass around this many bills is actually an act of war. Um, it goes to undermine the the economic stability of the U.S. And right. if if a president or or a Congress was so disposed could in fact use it um, you know, as an excuse to declare war on North Korea. As it stands, um, there's no actual proof that it is North Korea. Um, these bills seem to be coming from a bank uh, located in Macau, um, which has ties to North Korea. Um, and in which... Bank. I was going to say ban- banks like Banco Credit Delta or something yeah, like that. That sounds about right, yeah. Um, and, and in fact, the North Koreans have had some of their assets frozen in said bank. Um, there was a big story in 2009 where a, a Taiwanese chap was found in Vegas with uh, $50,000 or $60,000 worth of these super notes. And he'd been um, sort of playing the slots at Vegas, putting in a $100 bill. You know, playing the penny slots for two or three goes, and then refunding all the money, so he'd get like ninety dollars in real currency back. Right. Um, and in the I think the um, was it the Secret Service in the states who deals with currency? Yep. 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 They they you know eventually picked them up. Um, but these these uh, there's an amazing picture um, in Vanity Fair of all places where they have <laughs> got one of these notes and they have blown the note up to sort of you know room size. Um, and there are people sort of clambering over this, this, you know, this blown-up note, looking at the tiny, tiny little details um, in the print to see if it's a real note or not. I mean, the sort of the the evidence for well, what's actually evidence for that North North Korea is uh, sort of counterfeiting these bills. Is that it's coming through this bank in Macau? The majority of them. Oh, okay, all right. And I, I thought too, it's like. Um, like the sort of places along the Chinese North Korea border, where you know you can you, you can just sort of literally show up and buy these bills. Oh um, yeah, um, I, th- I think um, there, again, Vanity Fair has, has done quite a big thing on this, um, and they were saying they were able to buy a super note, a super note for um, fifty cents to the dollar, so for, for half price, you'd buy a okay. hundred for fifty. Um, and they they took the super note to um, some exchange places in Hong Kong, um, and while all the machines were able to detect, were unable to detect the note, some of the money changers, you know, people who handle these bills you know, all day every day, were able to pick them out just by feel. You know, they weren't able to say what was wrong with the note, other than you know, it kind of it just feels wrong. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The. Uh... Now, sometimes you know, when, like when I hear about you know 
you know, a reporter has gone to, you know, the border and has bought, uh, you know, super notes along the border. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of given to assume that, that, the, that the notes they're purchasing are the same super notes that has the you know, American Secret Service uh, worried. Uh, so the, I, I wasn't really quite sure if that the you know that was the actual case or something. Yeah, I, I think know. I think to a greater or lesser extent these are the same the same bills. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So so you seem to be able to pick them up uh, sort of in where sort of North Korea borders with China, and then didn't at some point uh, some Korean ship cargo ship get stopped or something, and they found these bills? Yes, I, I think a um, a ship. Was going towards Yemen, um, possibly with with arms on board as well. I'm um, sort of a, a ship of ill repute, if you will. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and I, I would I would guarantee you as well there were some drugs on board as well because that's the other way that the that the North Koreans um, you know get their hard currency is um they're pretty good manufacturers of methamphetamine. <laughs> they don't, they don't have like a trailer in the uh, sort of. <laughs> Deserts of uh, Washington State, Eastern Washington State. No, no. <laughs> okay. No, apparently there is a like a, a bureau or a, or office. They call it Office Thirty Nine, um, and and this is part of the the North Korean sort of bureaucracy that is tasked with earning hard currency through sort of illicit means. Um, right. There was a big write up oh, a couple of years ago now how. Um, some Korean diplomats, North Korean diplomats, were expelled from, I want to say Sweden, but it might be Norway, um, because, you know, they would be using their diplomatic pouches to smuggle in meth, um, and then, <laughs> then using the embassy car to drive around and, you know, sell the stuff. <laughs> Why not? You know, it seems like a... Wow. But uh, I was going to say, the um... now, I mean, I mean, some of the evidence for North Korea cranking out these super bills. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's called the in, in, it's like Antalya Antalya Press or in, the, oh, the, in, Intiglio. That's, Intiglio, that, that's, right? That's the kind of ink that's used. Um, the okay. United States, in the last couple of years, um, you know, forever for as long as I could remember, you know, American money was all the same. It was all the same color. It was all the same size. You, know, you had to look right. really carefully as to see who was on it and how much it was. Um, you know, in the last five, six years, they've started adding uh, variable color inks, this so-called Intiglio ink, where, um, you know, the color changes on the light, you know, sort of like a hologram almost. Um, and sure enough, North Korea got hold of some of that as well. <laughs> Ostensibly, allegedly. Well, yes. not quite the same as the ones. You oh, saw. okay. Yeah, but right, um, right, yes. I think the 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 test is that if you turn it some way, a, a genuine note will go sort of a an a, a purpley dark brown, whereas the North Korean notes just go black in that angle. So okay. now, now the the like the actual the actual printing presses to print these bills. It's like these, these, these are very incredibly high end, you know, custom made printing presses at basic, like you can't just go buy one yourself. Like, like the company that makes them will only basically sell them to, you know, nation states. They, they won't sell them to, you know, Stafford and Carl productions, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, so the argument is that, you know, that this, I think it's a Swiss company that, the, that's right. The, yeah. The, that they sold one of these to North Korea, you know, a couple decades ago or something. But then other people say, no, the North Koreans. Well, yeah, they bought one, but then you know they 
never sell to North Korea on credit, and they just stop making their payments, and so they stop sending them spare parts, and they're like, you know, there's no way this printing press is still being used. Well, you say that, but uh, you know, the the you know, needs must, as it were. Um, if you look at any sort of vehicle that um, is produced in North Korea, um, they are you know ripoffs of Chinese vehicles that are made, you know, sort of. <laughs> With, with chewing gum and rubber bands, if you will, um, to get going. I, I have no doubt that, even without spare parts, the, the North Koreans have got this press going somehow, through any means, okay. you know. And, and well, of course, true. you know, if you're dealing in a world of, of drugs and guns, um, I'm pretty sure that you can procure the parts you need anyway. All right, okay. Now, another sort of argument I heard against it is... Um, the uh, like the, the amount of money it would have cost to sort of set up this kind of operation would be you know three hundred million dollars you know just to get started and and the the amount of sort of super notes that are sort of being produced every year it's like it's actually it's not very high it's like maybe like ten million dollars a year it's you know they would have to have this operation going for you know, three decades before they even, you know, paid off their, you know, their, their startup costs. Yeah, well, there, there comes the, the ideological part of the argument where, you know, that is the case, but in doing so, they're sort of undermining, you know, America, the capitalist running dogs. You know, by doing this, they're undermi- you know, undermining the great aggressor. Um, right, right. You know, so that, that's, par- that, that's part of it. That plays, you know, the, the, the almost dogmatic... Um, portion, or uh, you know, is very much in place in everything North Korea does. You know, there's always the propaganda angle, um, or I should say, there's there's always the angle that lifts up Kim Jong Il as the great savior of the Korean nation. You know, right? The unified Korean nation, might I add? You know, um, yeah, I, you're right. I mean, it, it seems that um, it's it's kind of like pushing shit uphill the way that they're going about it, but. Um, Taking into account the ideology involved, um, you know, you can see why they're doing it. Right. Yeah. Uh, when I mean, you've probably experienced it too. But you know, when I was living in Korea, people were always like, you know, aren't aren't the South Koreans like scared as crap every single day by North Korea? And I always be like, you know, really, I think they 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 kind of like it when North Korea goes bonkers because it's you know North Korea is kind of pushing all of America's buttons in the way that South Korea is not allowed to <laughs> and so there's almost a bit of like like sort of I don't know not, there's not Scheidenfraud in it but you know something along those lines it's like okay they're kind of crazy but they're you know really maybe America's the real enemy <laughs> and North Korea is just kind of you know they're our brothers and they're 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 really getting under American skin, like we wish we could. Yeah, I, I think South Koreans view North Korea as, as you know, their crazy uncle that only comes to Christmas. You know, um, having said that, you know, if the shit hits the fan, <laughs> South Korea will be lining up behind the states, going, mm, "Please help us." Right, right, um, yeah, so, you know, for better the or North worse. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, North of it. All right. Now, now the Banco Delta. Now, when so the the Americans they kind of uh, decided you now they had enough and they weren't going to put up with it anymore. So the American government sort of basically said to any of its financial institutions, like you know, if you ever do business ever again with this Banco Delta, uh, you know, you will will you know will come down on you. So that that yeah. sort of basically severed 
Banco Delta's ability to do any kind of business. And in turn severed North Korea's only, I think, outlet for moving hard currency. Right, yeah. 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 Like, like I was saying, I think, earlier where, uh, you know, the Swiss sold them, you know, a uh, the printing press, you know, 12 easy payments. And, and then, you know, Korea made one, North Korea made one, you know, and then they stopped paying it. That, that people have quickly learned, you know, other nation states have learned, yeah, you don't, don't extend credit to North Korea. Everything's like a cash business with North Korea. So if you want to bring in like, you know, uh, you know, cigars or uh, um, cognac, cognac and stuff like that, right? You have to. It, it's it's purely a cash business with North Korea, and, and so so by, by by shutting off their access to this Banco Delta, they 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 couldn't. That just cut them off cold from the ability to do cash transactions with the rest of the world. Mm. Yes. Well, I mean. That whole thing was very short-lived and, you know, from my point of view, is the biggest failure of the previous Bush administrations dealing with North Korea. In order to get North Korea back to the so-called six-party talks, uh, they unfroze the accounts. Right, right. Um, you know, to, in freezing the accounts, all of a sudden, the, you know, the five of the six parties um, had all the leverage they really needed over North Korea to... Um, you know, short of war, to to really come to the table and start talking seriously about dearming, you know, denuclear denuclearization, um, you know, and just to generally shut the hell up and start pulling the international, you know, towing the international line. Um, but North Korea, um, you know, the analogy would be sort of the the tantrum throwing child, you know, who doesn't get what they want at the supermarket and so just sits down in the middle of the aisle and refuses to move. Right. <laughs> they pulled that card. And so, you know, America, in order to bring them back to the negotiating table, simply just unfroze the accounts um, in a hope that they would. And they sort of quietly moved back towards coming to the talks. But as of yet, not much. Right. Now, uh, the, every now and then you read these, like, press releases out of North Korea. And, and the language is... I'm so over the top sometimes. It's like, you know, we will cut the American viper's head off. And it's this this really, really weird, archaic uh, language they use. And I always wonder, are these, I don't know if you know, like, are these press releases, are they... Are they written in English in North Korea, or is this like like somebody's translation of Korean? And and you know, it's, they're just crappy translators or something. I I think it's a combination of all of the above. Again, you know, the the sort of rhetoric involved um, is kind of from a different time. You know, um, North Korea is fifty years behind the rest of the world. Um, you know, and this is the kind of rhetoric that came out of the, the USSR in sort of the, the early 60s. You know, we'll, we'll turn Washington into a sea of fire, blah, blah, oh, blah. We'll know. bury you. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and that's the kind of rhetoric that, that, that the North Koreans now push out. Um, there's that, the fact that any translations usually come through um, the North Korean community in Japan. Um, they have the, uh, I think it's the Nodong Shimun, which is the sort of Japanese, North Koreans in Japan, their community sort of newspaper. Um, and, yeah, that and crappy translations as well. You know, all of the above is involved there. <laughs> now, the, uh, the, like the, their sort of little nuclear program. One thing I always thought that kind of thought was funny was uh, that, that, that in some quarters in South, South Korea, 
they're not particularly afraid of North Korean nukes because there's, there's this idea that, you know, the North and South will reunite and then we will have nuclear weapons and then we will be, you know, a nuclear power. Like, have you ever mm. heard this sort of attitude? Um, well, for a start, the North's nuclear cap- cap- capability, um, they would have to deploy a tactical nuclear weapon at this, at this point, which would mean they would have to place a small nuclear device somewhere in Seoul. Okay. Um, and when I say small nuclear device, I mean it's probably the size of a double bed and probably just as tall. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's, there's no suitcase nuke, that's for sure. Right. Um, yeah. That, that might be a whole other conspiracy show, the whole idea of the suitcase nukes. If that, you, indeed, yeah. indeed. Um, as it stands, um, South Korea is a, a nuclear power in the fact that it has the knowledge and the wherewithal to build uh, certainly nuclear power plants. Right. Um, you know, in fact, it, it just got a very large contract with the United Arab Emirates to go and build two of them. Um, all it would take is the political will of, I, I guess, the National Assembly and the president at the time to say, you know, we're going to build you know, nuclear weapons and do it. Right. Um, there, there's, no, there's, there's no lack of knowledge in doing so. Um, it's just, you know, the things like the non-proliferation treaty that Korea sticks to. Um, its alliance with people like the United States that it sticks to, uh, and also it would I think South Korea, despite its blustering, is aware of of how that would affect sort of the balance in Northeast Asia. Um, if South Korea went nuclear, then Japan would turn around and say, "Well, we want to be nuclear," right? And neither Korea nor China want Japan to be nuclear. So I, th- I think that's what's stopping them. Um, but going, you know. It, if they were to unite, I, I think um, one of the first things that um, either China or the United States would do would be to secure that nuclear capability. And, um, you know, if it was China, take it away with them back to Beijing. Uh, or or the U.S., take it home back to Washington with them and, and you know, have a look at it and see what's done. But, um, yeah, I, I to say that under a united Korea, South Korea would all of a sudden become a nuclear power is, is a bit of a stretch. Right, right. The um, I think I mean even North Korea is sort of a bit outraged that no other nation has sort of recognized them as a nuclear power. Kind of, I think that sort of pisses them off endlessly. Yeah, um, and I I think their um, their first and second nuclear tests were um sort of only of the yield of a couple of tons of dynamite. You know that you could have done the same thing with dynamite. Right, right, right. Um, you know. Um, still, I imagine they're working hard to uh, increase that yield. <laughs> um, one, one, I guess another sort of conspiracy linked with this is the passing on of uh, nuclear uh, technology and nuclear details, uh, which is alleged to have come from Pakistan. Um, again, I think uh, it was a case of North Korea selling arms to Pakistan and in return getting you know the pieces of the puzzle to um, sort of make the basis of their nuclear program. Right, okay. And there was an incident too where the uh, Israelis just kind of out of the blue just like bombed the hell out of someplace in Syria. Mm, and, and yeah. No, yeah, and no one's talking, but it, it seemed like, like North Koreans were then trying to transfer some nuclear weapons technology to Syria. 
Mm. Yeah, it seems that uh, somewhere in the Syrian desert there was uh, not necessarily a nuclear power plant, but certainly nuclear research going on, uh, and uh, the Israelis were having none of it and bombed it to smithereens. And um, sure enough, no, North Korea actually came out and said, yeah, we had nationals there and they're dead now. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I don't think um, – again, it's all to do with hard currency. You know, Korea – North Korea will prostitute itself and anything it's got for hard currency, you know. You know, one of the things I was thinking about is like China – in many ways, China could end this tomorrow. They could just uh, – China is the only one that's really sort of keeping North Korea alive, and you know China tomorrow could sort of say, you know what, North Korea, let's let's stop all this, or else we're gonna not feed you anymore, or give you money and stuff like that, send you fuel, oil, and, and stuff. And and but then I always thought, you know, then it, it, if China ends that, you know, the North Korean problem tomorrow, then then all these other powers no longer have to kind of kowtow to China. You don't have to kind of go, come on, China, do something. We're really counting on you. That, that, that by keeping a North Korea kind of uh, as a problem and, and China as being you know, the solution, all these other, especially the American Japan, they, they, have, to, they have to sort of uh, give China you know, a certain amount of respect. Yeah, that's right. There, there, are, there are two aspects to that, and the first you illustrate quite well is that in having North Korea as a problem, it makes China look like the good guy. You know, um, they'll say, "Yeah, okay, America, we'll, we'll talk to North Korea. We'll, we'll, we'll look after it. Don't worry about that. Aren't we awesome?" Um, the, the second one is more strategic in that North Korea provides a a friendly nation state buffer between China and essentially America. Uh, with all its troops stationed in South Korea and in Japan. Right. Um, one of the the issues that we will see uh, upon not necessarily unification, but the breakdown of, of the North regime and the opening of the North-South border is uh, how much of a role China decides to take in stabilizing North Korea and how far south they send you know, their troops, essentially, and how, how far north... Uh, South Korean and probably American troops end up heading north, you know? Right, exactly, yeah. I, I, you know, a lot of times Americans are sort of like, well, do we have to be in South Korea anymore? Because, I mean, the South Korean army, they're not, you know, barefoot kids with rifles anymore. They're they're a professional army and they're they're extremely well armed. And, and there's a well, lot... It may, yeah, it, it may well transpire that, you know, American troops will head to the 38th parallel and will stand at the 38th parallel in great numbers but it'll be the South Korean forces who, you know, head beyond the, right. you know, the magic line. Um, in the event of a regime collapse in, in the north. Yeah, I, I think you'll, you'll find pockets of, of American uh, force moving to do things like secure, you know, nuclear materials. And, um, you know, you might have s- small groups of forces going to Pyongyang to look for stuff. Right. Um, but um, and, and I think that'll be a race between the states and China. Um but you, I think you'll see, yeah, mostly South Korean troops moving north because, you know, for practical reasons. They speak the language. They ostensibly have the same culture, and it's that sort of thing you need when you have to stabilize a, a regime, you know, or right. fill the vacuum when one is, is you know, summarily and quickly dismissed. All right. And uh, let's see. Any, any, uh, any South Korean conspiracies you know of? I mean, other than 
an Australian. I was going to say, yeah, I can only talk as to Australian um, speed skating uh, conspiracies currently. <laughs> I'm sure most our listeners are not even – no clue what's going on. But the, the, Korea is mad for this whole short track speed skating. And uh, it was at the 2002 Olympics. There was an Australian judge who disqualified their gold medalist in, and then an American – Apollo Ono won, and this Olympics, the same judge, this Australian guy, uh, disqualified the gold medal winning women's team or something. And uh, and the South Koreans, they they saw a little connect. They they thought they saw a connection there. I mean, same judge, uh, you know, screwing Korea out of a gold medal again, and they weren't too happy. <laughs> yes, apparently there was a, a bomb threat to the Australian embassy. Uh, on Friday, oh uh, yes, um, yeah. which is of concern to me because the New Zealand embassy is the next floor down in the same building. You see, so uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I guess I guess the poor Australian judge is now he's actually under twenty four hour police protection in Vancouver now. <laughs> he's surrounded by Mounties. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, that's sort of the uh, you know the the big one. Um, and uh, well, I guess fan death isn't a, a conspiracy per per se. Well, no. In the last year or so, there have been various um, scientific explanations as to the validity of, of fan death in, right. in certain for, circumstances. You know. For, for those who have not heard of fan death, what is what is what is what is this horrible new way to die? Uh, fan death. Uh, it, it is said that uh, in because it gets so hot in summer here in Korea, you know, people have. Uh, oscillating fans and it said if you were to uh, fall asleep in a room with a fan with all the windows closed uh, you will somehow die uh, from the fan eating up all the oxygen or, or some such um, in actual fact there is uh, like I say scientific evidence that in such situations uh, the fan the cool air on one's body might actually induce pneumonia um and you might you might well die from it, but it's not from lack of oxygen in the room, and you'd have to have sort of this perfect storm of circumstances uh, for a fan to actually kill you. Uh, one of the things that I found out a couple of years ago, though, was that um, certainly in the in the um, in the popular press, fan death is sometimes used as a euphemism uh, for domestic violence. Oh really? Uh, okay. And so that's why you know, like I say, sort of in some of the more tabloidy press. Um, people dying from fan death, or you know, is is sometimes not quite what it seems. Uh, okay, right. So it's just kind of a convenient little excuse. Indeed, indeed. Right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times too, it's like like somebody, um, you know, they they drink themselves to death, and you know, they vomit in the middle of the night and do a, you know, sort of like a uh, Led Zeppelin drummer mm, or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and you know, and then they're course you know the police come and there's that fan running you and know? the windows are closed oh my god it's yeah. yeah yeah exactly so it's like uh, and it's it's somehow it's usually easier to tell the family you know the fan killed them than oh you know your husband just kind of drank himself to death and didn't you know yeah it's usually kind of a polite and easy easy way out yes yes um, I, I i mean i'm not sure the listeners know but in, in korea Sometimes it's important to, um, uh, well, I want to say be seen to be doing the right thing rather than actually doing it. But, um, you know, to, to make everything, just smooth things over 
so as right. to not lose face. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a culture where face means a lot versus you know, say re- reality. Hardcore kind of facts. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a case where too, where you know, even you're not actually allowed to report the truth. Like in in the states in Canada, you know, you know. It, it, your best defense against libel is, well, it's, you know, it's telling fact. the truth. Yeah. Yeah. You, you may not like being called a child molester, but it, you have been, in fact, convicted of child molestation. Therefore, you are a child molester. But it, it, in Korea, that's actually not a, a, a legitimate defense. The truth. Mm. Yes, one has to be uh, very careful picking one's way through the um, the sort of – Socio-cultural norms, as it were, uh, when it comes to you know certain things like defamation and and those sorts of things. You know, as long as everyone, no one, if, as long as no one loses face, you know, ultimately that's the goal of, of what we're all doing. You know, making sure oh, everyone's happy and sailing along. And well, and was, you know, and to an extent, that's that's what North Korea does. You know, that's what it tells its citizens. At at any rate, you know, we're we're all sailing along fine. It's the rest of the world that is. Uh, that is horrible and disgusting. All right, I guess we should maybe finish up. So, uh, so Stafford, what is what is your what is your favorite small kitchen appliance? Oh, 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 oh! See, I was warned about this. Um, oh, okay. Um, oh, uh, coffee grinder. Uh, uh, what kind of be like a hopper, or where you got to push the top and it's in a? Yeah, no, just a, a blade grinder. Yes. Uh, Okay, all right. I, I can't hop, afford. Hop. I can't afford a burr grinder. Those things are amazingly expensive. No, no, you can get you can get one pretty cheaply, like like a, like a home version. I, I've, ah, got, yeah. I've got, yeah, yeah, Starbucks or something like that. All right, so so the yeah, all right. But coffee is coffee is rather expensive there, isn't it? Coffee beans. Um. Oh, sort of over since since I've been in Korea, things have got much better in terms of the drinking of the coffee. Um, I remember when I first moved to Korea, my nearest Starbucks was an hour's bus ride away. <laughs> Nowadays, and did you did you make that bus ride every day? It, well, every weekend at, at any rate. Oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Nowadays, it's uh, more of a sort of as the eagle, as the crow flies, sort of fifty to a hundred meters. <laughs> <laughs> And actually, we we found uh, lots of uh, specialty coffee roasters popping up. Um, oh, and okay. uh, for Valentine's Day, I got uh, 50 grams of uh, Kopi Luwak coffee, which is this um, uh, Indonesian coffee that's um, passed through the digestive tract of a civet cat. Right, yes. Uh, and so, yeah, I got that for Valentine's Day and have been carefully measuring that out and grinding just a little bit at a time, <laughs> trying to make it last as long as possible. Very nice, very nice. There's not, there's not a, a any. Are there any kind of? A, I mean, other than let's say like fans that actually have a automatic off timer. I, I kind of like that. That fans that have a, uh, they they kind of a timer. Like you can instead of like on or off or like multiple speeds. There's actually one uh, one dial where you can it will automatically shut itself off after like twenty minutes or two hours or yeah. three hours. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I, any kind of. Interesting or unique Korean kitchen appliances you've ever you've ever come across there? Um, oh. oh, there was a man in Namdaemun the other day um, with a, a choppy thing, you know, you, you, a little like a cylindrical choppy thing. You put half a half a onion in, in the bottom, you banged it against the the chopping board, and it diced it into tiny little pieces. It was really good. 
It's like a, a slap chop. That's the one. A slap oh, chop. okay. All right. Yeah. Wow, slap chops made it North or South Korea. Yeah. What one of, the, one of the most interesting, amazing things? Actually, two amazing things I saw there um, was one was um, you know on the subway people sell things on the subway. So it was a guy on the subway selling a. Uh, it was kind of like a basically sort of a device. You just take a bag, you know, like any kind of plastic bag. It will sort of seal the top of the bag. Oh, and, I've got uh, one of those. Yeah. But he but he but he had like this amazing like almost dance routine where he would just like fill a baggie full of water and then just sort of you know keep having it like without any water spilling and shaking the bag around. It it was it was the most stunning salesmanship routine I've ever seen on a subway. <laughs> but yeah. uh, I, I yeah. think if you can if you can make your bones selling stuff on the Seoul Subway network, I, I think you are the best salesman in the world. You know, you could sell anything. Yeah. <laughs> and there, there was another guy, and he had some little device for um, um, chestnuts. I mean, chestnuts are very popular in, in, in Korea. And it was just kind of like a little thing where you just sort of kept, you know, it, almost like, it was almost like a, like, uh, like, uh, like, 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 uh, Oh, stapler or something yeah, yeah. yeah like kept squeezing you, it yeah you like if, if you ever get an apple and you try and peel it all in one yes. go yeah yeah um yeah the sort of scissory stapley type things with a blade and yeah you can sort of take the hard stuff off a chestnut all in one go yeah they're, they're exactly very yeah. popular because uh, chestnut's very popular in the winter here right yeah it was like two, two bucks or something and i'm like i would have almost bought it but i'm like you know like i can't draw a straight line more than like three millimeters long before I, yeah, it's no longer straight. Like I'm that bad with my hands and I'm like, no, <laughs> uh, there's probably, I probably would not be able to use it. There's probably a trick. Like, you know, you have to have coordination or something. Well, know. You know how that, you know how to get to Carnegie Hall. How? Practice, practice, practice. There you go. Wow. All right. And uh, so where, where can we, where can we catch you? The, your, your little podcast. <laughs> My little podcast? Your little podcast. <laughs> it's going bounds and leaps forward. You can find the Soul Podcast at soulpodcast.com. All right. It's sponsored by? Sponsored by a whole bunch of sponsors at the moment. We've got uh, the Korean Herald, which you'll find at koreaherald.co.kr, um, part of uh, South Korea's uh, fine English language uh, news establishment. <laughs> he says, trying to keep a straight face. Um, and also sponsored by uh, ESL Planet Recruiting, which recruits teachers for uh, schools in South Korea. You'll find them at esl-planet.com. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a good – if you're thinking about teaching in Korea, he's a very upstanding recruiter. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. And you'll find me, my blabblings on, at uh, the Chosun Bimbo at stafford.net.nz. Oh, yeah, it's a very it's a very good blog, and you you uh, you're, you're into big into technology and stuff, Apple products and things. All sorts of things. Yeah, I went to um, the uh, international launch of Samsung's uh, full HD 3D TVs on Thursday. Um, 3D TV, it's awesome. <laughs> I guess you're talking about the Samsung. They're coming out with sort of a, a tablet computer, and the Korean demonstrator kept referring to it as an iPad. Oh, no, he was just talking about sort of integrate With these TVs, you can serve media to the TV from sort of almost any device. You know, so if you've got a video on your cell phone, 
you know, you can sort of point it at the TV and the video will come up on the TV. Um, and he was just mentioning, you know, tablet devices and things. I mean, he had a slide up that said tablet, but he actually said iPad. It was, I thought it was oh, okay. quite a funny slip, considering he'd probably spent the day selling RAM to Apple at some inflated price. Uh, okay, <laughs> I, I misread that. All right. And uh, it, 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 you gave the URL to your blog, Stafford? Dot net dot NZ. And said, all right, okay, well, thanks a lot, Stafford. Hey, thank you, Carl. All right, and uh, catch you uh, you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.